And welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. We are now getting ready to start recording episode three, which is Ozzy Osbourne's Speak of the Devil. Before Uh-oh. we get into that, though, I wanted to give a shout out to one of my favorite local podcasts, smaller podcasts, as, as Darren would say, by local, which is the Fourth Line Voice podcast, which talks about all kinds of professional ice hockey and, and amateur ice hockey from back in the days when it was a bit more violent, a bit more fun, and just totally dig that. So go ahead and check him out if you're into hockey at all. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, shout, two shout-outs from me really quickly. Um, Matt Bacon and Curtis Dewar and Keith Shackles, the Dumb and Dumbest podcast. Um, if you're in the music industry in any way, that's a really cool podcast to check out. And also um, Kat Jones, um, Hot-Blooded, um, a podcast about uh, musicians and their relationships, which is a cool angle. So, yeah, check them out going to go ahead and apologize ahead of time. I'm going to be a lot noisier today, most likely. Instead of my usual beer at this time of day, uh, nothing is properly cold because of a mistake I made. And as the temperature is getting a little bit cooler, I am drinking a pot of tea. And I got a little bitty cup, so I'll be filling it a lot and probably making a lot of noises like this. So, yeah, and I've got some uh, mint and licorice tea. So um, shout out to tea. Yeah, I might also be, I'll try and be quiet, but you never know. So with uh, right. considering whom we're talking about today, I think uh, both of us drinking a whole pile of tea is a little bit appropriate because uh, there was a story that Tony Iommi told during the reunion about back in the old days when Ozzy was a total wreck. He would tell the band, OK, I'm going to go get a pot of tea. I'll bring it back a pot of tea for you guys. And they'd walk out of the, the studio 20, 30 minutes later going, where's the tea? And Ozzy would be passed out on the couch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ozzy was That's about right. Ozzy was a bit of a mess back in those days, and I would argue that we are going to be speaking about the time in his life where he was at his absolute worst. I think that is correct. I think this is the absolute zenith and pinnacle of Ozzy Osbourne messed upness, um, which makes it all the more interesting, you know. Um, and I guess um, he he kind of came through it, you know. He's he struggled. Um, for most of his life, I guess, with all sorts of demons and things like that. But um, yeah, he got through this this period. But yeah, this really was going off the rails on the crazy train. This, to, to begin with, I, I think for as, as a C, CYA for myself, I think it is very important that we mention that what we're about to discuss is in fact only and wholly a contractual obligation album. And there has yes. never been a contractual obligation album that worked. That sounds about right to me. Yeah. It's, it's this strange. also, they, they, when they decided to record this, Ozzy didn't decide. Sharon and her father, Don Arden, decided they were going to do a Black Sabbath covers record. This decision was made in February of 1982 when Randy was still in the band. Yep. This decision was predicated on two things. One, it would earn, it would burn an album on the contract. They had two albums left for Jet Records. And two, it would enrich Don Arden himself and the members of Black Sabbath, whom he was still managing due to songwriting and publishing. So that was why this was done. 
Yeah, so I believe the um, publishing deal that they'd signed had just recently expired. So everybody, including Ozzy, would actually benefit from any new recordings made of these Black Sabbath songs, basically. They'd get the money <clears throat> um, kind of for the first time. So, yes, interesting, all very legalistic and not very, not very much to do with um, art or, uh, or anything like that. No, and how do you think Randy Rhodes responded to, hey, by the way, you're doing an entire album of cover songs? Yeah, so um, as far as I'm aware, um, Randy did not take very well to this. Um, and in fact, he and drummer Tommy Aldridge both refused to participate and said it would be a step backwards, basically. Correct. And this actually led to Ozzy firing the entire band in a drunken rage. However, he forgot. So the next morning they were not fired. <laughs> then Randy agreed to, after having Ozzy taunt him, saying, oh, Frank Zappa's going to be on the live album in your place. Oh, and even Halen wants to play in your place on the tour bus. They was taunting Randy because, yes. again, we're talking at the, as you put it, the absolute zenith of Ozzy's messed upness. And he ended up agreeing to doing it. And he said, I will agree to do this album, this live album, and then I will do the studio album right behind it, and then I'm done, and then I am out of this band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this really was, uh, yeah, the, 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 the pinnacle of, uh, of Ozzy's craziness. So, yeah, basically Sharon took the news quite well, that the guys didn't want to do the record at first, but Ozzy went on a huge drinking binge, and this is apparently when he... Uh, was famously arrested for urinating on the Alamo. Um, this is so, the yeah. most magical time of Ozzy's career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Um, but yeah, they managed to kind of reconcile it and Rhodes agrees to do the live album. Um, yeah, and then he's going to depart the band after fulfilling all the contractual obligations to Jet Records, which is one more studio album and one more tour. So there we go. So... Yeah, oh, there's a little bit. There's a little bit more still. The the when they agreed to do this, they were gonna do this at Madison or not Madison Square. I'm sorry, uh, Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto in middle 1982, and then yep. they planned on half naked women and Sharon creating the biggest rock and roll spectacle of all time. At which point, Randy obviously has his accident. Randy and Sharon's best friend both die, and everything changes immediately. Also, I'm going to apologize for the noisiness of my cat who won't stay out of the room. But then, and Ozzy's camp and Ozzy knew that Black Sabbath Live Evil was coming out. Yes. Geezer kind of seemed like he didn't want Live Evil to come out. And Ozzy sure as hell didn't want to do Black Sabbath covers. Mm -hmm. But they also, but they both wanted to be first. So it's, That's right. So it became this part of this ongoing battle between Black Sabbath as they uh, were at the time with Ronnie James Dio on vocals and the Aussie camp, Aussie and Sharon, etc. Uh, yeah, all rather silly, but that's what it was. A lot of egos and a lot of money on the table. And then I think we should get into now who is on this album. Because obviously yeah. it's not Randy playing guitar. Yeah, so this is um, a guy called Brad Gillis, 
Um, so I think he uh, turned up to audition. So that was um, in April 1982. And he had been in a group called Night Ranger, I believe, who I don't know a whole before, lot about. Yes, but it was before Night Ranger was signed. This is when Night ah, Ranger so was this before Night Ranger. Um, so, at the, so at this point in time, Gillis was kind of unknown then, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was, a lot like, it was a lot like the arrival of Randy Rhodes, somebody who's in a band that's unknown. Totally. Um, so then basically, he, so he passed the audition. And um, yeah, so, so Sharon hooked him up with uh, Rudy Sarzo. And yeah, Gillis was apparently vaguely familiar with Osborne's music because he'd seen, he was, uh, well, I mean, he was, who, familiar who, with, uh, he was familiar with the solo music, but not Black Sabbath. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So he knew Ozzy's stuff, but he really didn't know Black Sabbath at all. That's correct. Yes. How does that even make he sense? He borrowed a friend's old Sabbath albums mm-hmm. to learn the songs. Um, yeah, and he apparently was able to faithfully reproduce Randy Rhodes' parts, um, which is what earned him the job, which was fine. But of course, for this album here, they, they're not Randy Rhodes' parts. We're talking about Tony Iommi, a very different guitar player indeed. Um, but, but yeah, anyway, um, they, uh, so he performed with the band during Soundcheck in April, again, a few days later um, in New York and played his first show with the band later that evening. Um, Yeah, so, and then we get into this period of rehearsals where it just kind of continues to be weird. So I don't know if you want to tell us a bit about what happens um, in the rehearsal situation. This is, again, we're talking about the magical halcyon days of Ozzy Osbourne at his most mythical. This yep. is not long after he's bitten the head off the dove. This is weeks after he's urinated on the Alamo. This is all of the things you've ever heard about Ozzy Osbourne. That was this year. It all happened in this, in this era. He never dealt with the death of Randy Rhodes very well and probably didn't deal with the breaking up of the band of Randy Rhodes with Randy Rhodes, which would have happened had he not died. Mm-hmm. So Ozzy's in a bigger tailspin than he's ever been in. Uh, decides he knows the songs, I guess. I guess he decided he knows the songs, so he didn't show up to any rehearsals for this. Gillis, Sarzo, Aldridge, these guys have a passing familiarity with Black Sabbath. Yeah. Gotta yeah. rehearse. Led Zeppelin went through six weeks of rehearsals to do one concert. Yeah. And this was about three days, something like that. Yeah, uh, three days without Ozzy. Yeah. So this is not brilliant. And apparently it's also when uh, Rudy Sarzo, who was already working with Quiet Riot in secret on the, on the Metal Health album, which became Quiet Riot's uh, big standout classic, he made his decision to leave. So he must have all been getting too crazy for Rudy Sarzo. Um, yeah, and there's also uh, this 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 point which we're going to come back to later because it's very relevant to the uh, the actual music, which is that the the record label um, via Sharon basically told the band not to really bother with rehearsing Iron Man, Children of the Grave, and Paranoid, 
And the reason for that is that those three were usually the encore, I believe, of Ozzy's set. He would do all the Ozzy Osbourne material, then come back for an encore of those three. So they had some fantastic recordings of those with Randy Rhodes, and they planned to include the Randy Rhodes recordings on this um, album. But as we'll discover a little bit later, that's not how it turned out. They, they, those recordings got... Um, uh, put on tribute, I believe. I think I think yes, I'm right. It's on tribute. That. On yeah. tribute, they released the entirety of the live recordings they had with with Randy Rhodes. Most of it was taken from a single. Uh, I think it was the King Biscuit Flower Hour, Flower Power Hour. They had a recording of that in Cleveland or something that they used, and then there were a couple other songs piecemealed to it. But yeah, they they didn't expect to be doing those songs, so they just. Uh, I guess the boys went, wow, that's three less songs we have to learn. Yeah, and I guess given that they only had three days, that was probably a weight off their minds. So they probably busked through them, knowing that they would have to actually play them at the show. But knowing that they weren't going to be on the actual album, they didn't stress too much about getting them perfect, as long as they could sort of busk through and, you know, get everything roughly in the right place. Um, But yeah, as we discover... Um, that isn't how it worked out. They saved those tracks with Randy on for the tribute album. And then, of course, guess what? These live recordings of uh, the band that had not rehearsed those three tracks, playing those three tracks, do get used on the Speak of the Devil album. So Randy, we can already kind of start to see the way this is going. It's, it's crumbling quickly. <laughs> then there were certain songs that... that Night, nobody, because it was recorded over two shows, two, two nights in New York at the Ritz, famous theater. And of those shows, there are a couple of these songs that nobody can recall hearing. So some of these were yes. recorded at soundcheck, some of it weren't. There is at least one song that I will go to my grave to, screaming that that was the Black Sabbath studio vocal. Well, I want to talk about this because my feeling is... Um, okay, so we'll, you, when you're listening to this live album, and we'll get into it track by track shortly, but um, you hear Ozzy doing his usual um, patter in between singing, you know, his, um, his stage uh, tra- trademark things he says to get the audience going and just little bits of improvised um, shouts and screams and whoops and things like that. And that all sounds kind of rough. Like he's going, all right, and then as soon as it comes to the actual song, he sounds, for the most part, absolutely amazing. Now, not absolutely 100% of the time, but I would say it's like 95% very strong. And we're talking studio strong, um, which is exactly what then leads me to think, hang on a second, um, have they overdubbed the vocal again <clears throat> in a lot of this Maybe even all of it. And I have to say, there's a few segments where I think I can hear. I don't think it's a delay effect that they've put on cosmetically. I think it's actually you're hearing the ghost of the original recording, which they've tried to turn down, but it's spilt into the drum mics or the guitar mics. Then you're hearing another Ozzy Osbourne. I think whether it's from the original Black Sabbath recording or not, I don't know. But I I suspect they got him to re-record these songs in the studio. I'm going to say no, he did not re-record any in the studio just because there wasn't time. Okay. May- yeah, maybe, maybe. I'm looking at, you know, pulling up the, the album information again. This was recorded over the course of two days in September 1982. 
26, 27, released on the 27th of November. Yeah, wow, that is pretty quick. Well, I don't know, man. I mean, maybe Ozzy's just a better singer than I give him credit for. Kind of, um, no, I, I will no. They flew in the Black Sabbath ones. And maybe, when, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not the ones sure. That I'm, the ones that I will swear to God that they're the Black Sabbath vocal tracks, one of them that is, and there's no question, it is. But the ones that it's, that's like that, it's the newer Black Sabbath stuff. You know, it's yeah. not off Snowblind. It's not off Fairies Wear Boots. Back when the recording budget for Black Sabbath was about 50, 50 pounds. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't later. know, man. I don't know. Because to me, they sound like really good, but not quite the same as the original Sabbath ones. But you know what? We're not going to find out the, the definite answer no, on that. No. But I mean, I guess one way or another, what we do know is that, that that was in some way doctored. There's no way, I'm pretty sure there's no way those are the original live vocals. It just, yeah. it's too good. Considering how Ozzy was at the time, considering that I've, I've heard recordings of Sabbath from like five or six or seven years earlier where he sounds a lot rougher than he suddenly does on this. I just don't believe those are the original. No, uh, there's no way. They, they were done in the studio in some way. I would argue that, like I said, a lot of them are, are flown in Black Sabbath tracks. Then on some of them, it probably was done in the studio, like over the weekend, get them sobered up for, because it would take probably two weeks to, to place the order on these to get them out. Yeah, yeah. I oh, know it was two months. They had two months. I'm sorry, two months. Yeah. September to November. Wow, messed that up. So they had two months. They could get him, in, if they could get him in the studio, they could probably get, you know, a reasonably pieced together version and then I think on some of them, on about half of it, yeah, there are ghost sounds. There's the the vocals. There's definitely two tracks going on at once. There are, yeah. I think I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, yeah. So look, I guess we're we're probably about to get into the track by track breakdown. Um, but yeah, I think that there are there are big issues. We can see why, and this is no disrespect to anybody involved because we've talked about the everything that led up to this and. It was difficult circumstances. Um, yeah, the, there are issues with the guitar playing in particular here, I think. Um, no disrespect um, to Brad Gillis. Um, he didn't have very long to rehearse. Um, he was told not to rehearse three of the songs that actually turned out to be uh, put on the album. Um, but yeah, for me, that's the weakest point. Having said all that, there are some good moments. Um, it's quite nice to hear Ozzy's voice, um, as, as false as it kind of is, as re-recorded or whatever it is. Um, it's quite nice to hear him sing those songs really strongly. Um, and it is, um, I don't know, it's the, these are different versions of the songs, so it's, it's kind of cool to hear a different take on them. Although, I don't know, I don't think they're particularly brilliant a lot of the time. It, um, you know, this is an album that I always remember in my head, having only heard it a couple times, because there are very few people that have ever heard this album, much less look back on it as this moment that's, oh my God, this is great. So it's, yeah. you know, I never had any friends that, that liked it and talked about it. I don't remember seeing any videos for it. Uh, there, I don't remember anything from it contemporarily just listening back to it in the 90s 15 years later thinking wow the guitar playing on this sucks because <laughs> it wasn't 
it wasn't right, but I mean, I understand what it was because you have Brad Gillis who's coming in on a Randy Rhodes kind of situation, and this is his moment to acquire some notoriety for himself. Yes, and he certainly sought it through his playing. But I, uh, I guess I'm ready to go track by track on this one. But, oh, so, last thing I will say. Yeah, Ozzy, there is a track from every album except Technical Ecstasy. Oh, that's a good point. From every Ozzy the- album except Technical Ecstasy. Right, that's really interesting. Okay, cool. That is the only album not represented. I would have rather had something off Technical Ecstasy rather than Never Say Die, I think. But, you know, here we are. Well, we'll get on to that because I've got, yeah, I've got some mixed thoughts on Never Say Die. It's certainly not the best Sabbath song, but let's, but anyway, look, let's go, let's go through track by track, I guess. Um, I'm ready. All right. So we start off with Symptom of the Universe. So um, I am a fan of this track normally. Um, this is sort of known as one of the heaviest Sabbath tracks, an absolutely colossal pummeling riff. Um, when it kicks in, you know, it, yeah, it's fine. It's all right. Um, my issue with it is that the guitar tone is a bit phasery, a bit, it's got an 80s kind of swirling. Um, Gillis is an 80s player. Yes, we are very much, now it's only 82, but I mean, we are totally in the 80s immediately. The guitar playing is absolutely archetypal 80s. Um, and then we hear the bass tone and it's like, it seems to vary track by track, but it's worse on it's worse on this track it's um this weird bouncy tone very kind of in your face and just a bit odd and not very heavy more almost like the sort of bass tone that you'd expect um bootsy collins to be playing with or something it just i don't know doesn't seem to work yeah and then it then we've got some screams from ozzy some ah you know fine yeah Um, yeah yeah and then yeah, well, what, what, what are your thoughts? I, okay. Truth, told, truth be told, I don't like this song. Sure. I, don't like, I don't like Symptom of the Universe. Uh, it's got a great opening riff that they have done about 15 other times in other songs. You know, Symptom of the Universe is the cocaine version, to me, of Children of the Grave. Yeah. That, that's how I see that. But... Say, that being said, Gillis and Sarzo on this track were amazing for me. They came in, they thumped it, yet they modernized it. It's ex- they, him, and them, and Aldridge, and Aldridge did the same thing on every on every track. Was he was throwing in double basses, double bass licks, and just you know everything you could think of. The solo, yeah, I mean, it sounded like a hair metal solo, but that's to be expected. Ozzy just sounded awful on this, and I. It's he's pushing it, yeah. He's really he's straining to his limit, isn't it? Yes. Then that's what I have in here is that it's strained. He's he sounds strained, and that that probably is the most real part of this album. This one, and then definitely at least Children of the Grave. But yeah. And then now this is also the first point. Now I now I take your point. The actual playing is pretty strong. The band are pretty um uh pretty heavy, pretty tight. Um, this is the first instance of what we get quite a bit of, unfortunately, through this album, which is Brad Gillis. I can't remember which riff it is now, but towards the end, one of the, not the main riff, but one of those riffs that comes in towards the end, and he plays it wrong. And it's like, mm, is that improvisation or is it just he's not really he was, had time to learn he was it? He's doing I mean, it like Randy did it. Sure, sure. There's a couple of the tracks on here 
where he wasn't playing the Sabbath version of them. He was playing the Randy Rhodes version of them. Sure. If so that might be to, part of what it is. If you listen to Tribute, you know, the that part of Paranoid isn't there. Right. The whole time he's going, he's doing the opening, the intro riff, and he's turning the intro riff into the main riff. Right. I see. Leaving the bass player to fill it up. And that's, that's a yeah. big part of how he plays these. You see, to me, that's kind of creative and that's kind of Randy putting his mark on it. Whereas it feels like Gillis is just playing the riffs wrong. So, but anyway, that's so, so yeah. And there's a bit of silly whammy bar, wow, wow, you know, um, oh, yeah. Lots of it. it's a very eighties thing. And it also, to me, it's very much like a kind of look at me thing. It's like you're playing the rhythm guitar and you just want, you want everyone's eyes just to shift from the singer for a moment, just onto you to go, yep, you're the guitarist, hi. So you do that thing. Oh yeah, he's playing this record, he's playing this tour as though he were a highly scouted possible draft pick. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's look at me, look at me, look at how good I am, look at how much I can do. And, that, and it gets distracting. It's, it's very distracting the whole thing, to be honest. And then we head off into Snowblind. I find it interesting that Ozzy just sets it off. Yep, this is about cocaine. Let's have some cocaine. Cocaine, cocaine, cocaine. That, yeah. that, to me was, that to me was how he set that up. He sounded good. This is one of those songs where you can definitely tell there are two vocal tracks going. I mm. don't know if they used his live one and then got him slightly sobered up in the studio to do another one to go underneath of it or over or on top of it. But you can tell this isn't, I mean, you know, they didn't have that kind of doubling technology in the 80s. The well, I think they, they could, but this isn't it. This, this just isn't it. It, it. It's definitely two different voices, you know. You can just tell, yeah, there's a ghost um, in the background and there's a, a much more polished vocal on top. So, yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. And th- th- I mean, this is another song where, to me, this, this is probably the best song on the entire album. This is the one that should have been the single. That should have been the video. It, I, I really loved this one. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not bad at all. Um, yeah, I've put the vocals sound unnaturally good, but you know, um, and, and the old overdub thing we talked about. But but you know, fine, cool, it works. It sounds good. Um, yeah, it's it's not bad. The two bits that I've criticised are there's there's a bit where it. Um, it changes riff and then with the bass line kind of goes funky again it's like I don't know man it's like Rudy Sarzo has been listening to um, Parliament and Funkadelic it just goes a little bit funky and I think nah. everyone should be listening to Parliament Funkadelic that's all I'm oh yeah for sure no no I love them but um, maybe not for this style but look, we're splitting hairs a bit, and yeah, okay. There's a there's a widdly diddly do solo I've written here, but yeah, look, that's what that's what's to be expected. Um, and I guess you know, um, Brad Gillis was trying to be Randy Rhodes, trying to step into those shoes, and Randy was definitely he was the archetypal eighties guitarist at that point, I guess, um, possibly alongside Eddie Van Halen. He definitely was, but in a different way. Yeah. To me. It, it wasn't just, I mean, Randy definitely showed off as much as he could, but it always felt in service of the song. In this case, Brad Gillis is showing off as feels like in service of Brad Gillis. 
Yeah, I agree. And I suppose I would say Randy Rose, he has this kind of neoclassical thing going on where there's a certain sophistication to his note choices and the way that he plays his guitar solos. Um, and there's, there's references to, this, uh, to all this music theory, whereas it feels like a lot of what Brad Gillis is doing is, is very much um, kind of trashy rock and roll. Like, you know, in, in the 80s, we got into hair metal and there were quite a lot of instances of people... What's the word? But being a bit like um, a bit like Led Zeppelin on the surface, but it was a shallow nod to that sort of music, and really it wasn't didn't have much depth, um, style over substance, and it does feel like Brad Gillis is he's he's doing a bit of that. Really, it's not on the same level as Randy. I completely agreed. I think one could even probably make the argument this is the first hair metal guitar record. <laughs> yeah, very very possibly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's just no doubt it is pure hair metal. Um, but yeah so then we get to the song black sabbath which to my ears is just slightly too fast it's like i have the exact same thing in my notes starts too fast it's yeah just because this is the absolute archetypal doom riff this is doom before doom was doom and you know, it's got to be slow. It's got to be sludgy. It's got to be absolutely monolithically, thunderously leaden in its uh, power. But yeah, so you can't you can't dial back on that. You've got to dial it up more if you're playing it live. And they Correct. don't. They dial back a bit on it, which is a shame. Um, the vocals sound great. Really good. So good. Again. It's, it's like that it, doubling. They doubled it. Yeah, it's the doubling thing. And again, it, to be honest, yeah, it could be from the original recording. It sounds that that polished. Or if not, then they've got him to redo it. But yeah. Oh, um, yeah, truly amazing. That, I have that in my notes too. That the vocals are they're they're overprocessed, they're over affected, but they sound great. They are really great, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've got when it goes into that shuffle riff, um that's pretty cool until uh oh we get into 80s guitar mayhem world i've put yuck whammy madness <laughs> i uh mine is not that you're you're slow slow you're quickly losing your english politeness and you're, you're going straight on to american yuck whammy man anyway <laughs> yes definitely too fast tommy aldridge uses way too much double bass double bass there, there probably is a place that you could double bass in a Black Sabbath tune, but not in this one. For sure. You know, going back to that prototypical, it is the first Doom riff. It is, in a Doom riff, when it's done right, you, you're, you're, you just need it. You, you need that note to change. You gotta wait for it, and that's what gives it its power. This, ding, ding, ding. No, it should be, Ding. Then you can wait another 30 seconds, then you go to the next note. Exactly. And that, it just doing it this way, just, you know, it's, I understand what they're doing. They're trying, what's the point of these guys re-recording all the Sabbath tunes faithfully? Anybody yeah. who's going to buy this already has them. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to do something, but I also don't have to like it. Yeah, that's right. And I just think sometimes it's going to work and sometimes it's not. And th No, this one just doesn't. Um, Correct. The, the la you know, you go between these two songs, they did the exact same thing to both of them. They sped them up. 
They put the 80s metallic sheen on them. They did the over-affected Aussie vocals. For Snowblind, it, it's a home run. For Black Sabbath, it's, you know, you're looking at strike three. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, okay, so then we get on to Fairies Wear Boots. One of my uh, personal favorite Sabbath tunes, I might add. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love um, that yeah, one. Yeah, it's a great song, absolutely. Um, I've put that, yeah, the vocals are great again, really good, really nice. Again, it's probably that doubling thing going on. But I've put the, the whole thing feels a bit weak workmanlike and lackluster. Like, there's nothing particularly standout awful that sticks out. It's just the whole thing feels a little bit, it's like they'd got tired. They'd reached that mid-set lull already on track four, maybe. It, my notes on this are very thin. It's very faithful with the metallic sh with an 80s sheen. So basically they played it note for note. This is like one of the songs they knew, I guess. They play it note for note. They just play it through modern equipment of the time and yeah. process Ozzy's vocals and it sounds like Black Sabbath. Next track. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, all right. <clears throat> so then we get to War Pigs, which I've put not bad. Um, but one thing that just annoyed me about it, which isn't actually the band's fault, it's whoever mixed it in the solo. Which yeah, it's um, it's it's an eighties one again. Actually, it's not that eighties this time. It's not too bad in that respect. But the bass guitar is mixed louder than the guitar solo, and you just think, why has that happened? Like this just reeks of somebody who's really half-assed the mixing. Um, I would argue that prob. Well, yeah, and. They probably didn't hire a quality engineer on this one just to, you know, get it out. And then, yeah, they definitely, the, the bass was turned up way too high. And I think this is about around the time that I started to notice that when Rudy Sarzo doesn't know what to play, he plays this one particular riff. Uh, so, yeah, I know what you mean. Is it kind of a descending pattern almost? When he doesn't know what to play, he's playing like this this pastiche of, Children of the Grave and Paranoid and Iron Man. He's like right. playing them all at once. And, right. and when when Gillis doesn't know what to play, he plays this just this very rhythmic kind of thing. And then hopefully and then they're both probably thinking, if I just play this one thing, it sounds okay, it's in the right key, and then the, the vocals will take care of it and nobody will notice. Yes. That was when I started noticing it on this one, is it's there, whatever he doesn't know, and then because the mixing was so awful, yeah, the bass guitar would be louder than the solo. And yeah, so that frustrated me. But um, you know, it, it's fine. It's not bad. I don't think it's a terrible version. I think I think it's no. so. I thought that it's quite energized. Like they seem to get a bit of their energy back, having, in my view, slightly lost it in the previous track. Um, yeah. Okay, so then, then we get on to The Wizard, which is that, it's one of my favourite Sabbath tracks, actually. In fact, it's the first Black Sabbath track I properly heard, actually, um, that really made me want to listen to more Black Sabbath. Um, Quick question. Do you think he was actually playing that harmonica on that one? Uh, I don't know, man. It's a bit... I mean, he's playing it a bit different. It's fine, but it's a, I wouldn't say it's brilliantly played. Um, look, it's a good question. Um, I'm guessing you think he wasn't. Probably not. It to me, it's it, it, he didn't play it exactly like on on the album, 
but it was to me it felt very precise Mm-hmm. And I just potentially, yeah, yeah. I just can't picture Ozzy because I, I think we should mention that Ozzy was also bald and bleeding during this show. He had completely shaved his head the day before, like bicked oh, yeah. it down, like Pink Floyd style. Yes, yeah, we forgot to mention that. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, look, I don't know. I'm prepared to believe that it could have been him, but I, but I take your point. I take your point. Um, that for him to actually pick the harmonica up and play it with any degree of precision is does feel a little bit unlikely now he's saying. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially when going back to the point you made, and I'm glad you did, the stage raps did not sound like the vocals, did not sound like any of them. Oh, no. He's going like, all right. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he sounds like he's had, you know, a gallon of vodka and all the drugs on the planet, which, let's face it, would have been, the truth that would have been pretty on brand for him at that point in time and yeah it's uh it's funny when they i believe all of the music is the band playing from that night it's the vocals that i think were flown in because i don't think there was any possible way they could have gotten ozzy up there to really do it but especially with no rehearsals it sounds too good too good for it to be no rehearse yeah, yeah, I, I agree, I agree, totally agree. This so, particular song, it's de- yeah, definitely one of my favorites. It's, it's more of the same as the, the way this is going. It's, it, it's kind of there, it's very 80s, it's, it's more of the same. It's an 80s version of Black Sabbath. It's, the, it's, hair, it's hair Sabbath. Yeah, and I've put that it's, it's not too bad, it's all right, but it just silly whammy bar bits, totally inappropriate. I mean, this is a very bluesy track. It's mm-hmm. even, they've kept the harmonica in, they've kept it bluesy. You can't put all that whammy bar nonsense in, you know, that, that's what spoils it for me. Other than that, I think he's, yeah, he's perfectly fine. They're, they're just updating, you know, they're, they're just moving. Because, you know, at this point in time, I would imagine that Black Sabbath felt kind of stodgy. Yeah, yeah. For for yeah. younger fans. So bringing it in, you know, that more common style, that more modern style. And then they yeah. move into Sweet Leaf and, or I'm sorry, into NIB, which is <coughs> absolutely one of my favorites. You yeah. know, Gillis just overplays the crap out of this one. And Aldridge overplays with all the double bass and, Sarzo, Sarzo yeah. was fine. You know, the vo- and the vocals are what they are or what they weren't. And, exactly. you know, we're just getting more of, we're so far past the time this was recorded and so far past the time the debut was recorded that we can look at things and go, no, this isn't right. And that's, yeah. that's how a lot of this feels to me is it just doesn't, right. It doesn't feel right. I totally agree. Um, yeah, I've put the solos okay until it descends into nonsense. So it's this thing of like starting off doing a few kind of bluesy licks and then before you know it, you're going, and it's just, no, please don't. He holds himself back for just a minute. Yeah. And then he's like, nope. Then he's like, I I can just picture him like fretboard tapping with his toes on half of this. Just up there. Yeah. And that can, you know what? That can work. Sometimes, but it doesn't really work on this. That's, this is the problem. It's making it uh, horses for courses. You know, that's what you need. And this is not the right horse for the uh, Black Sabbath course. Correct. And the Aussie 
I think one of the reasons why Ozzy Osbourne was able to achieve the solo success that most people in those positions couldn't is he didn't try to remake Black Sabbath. But of course, he didn't have the ability. He didn't know how. But Ozzy Osbourne, if you listen to Diary of a Madman or Blizzard of Oz or Bark at the Moon, those sound nothing like any Black Sabbath record. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And then Brad Gillis is a great guitar player to play Ozzy Osbourne tunes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just don't think he can bring himself to play Sabbath tunes. I think you're that's, right. You're totally right. Yeah. That's just how I saw it. And then we move on into Sweet Leaf, another, you know, mostly faithful, a lot of dignity. Yeah, I thought they played the riff nicely. I thought they, they were faithful to the heaviness of that riff, you know? Agreed. I didn't. Because I kind of thought, oh, God, are they going to really speed it up and make it weak? But no, it was good. Um, I've put still too much going on in the bass. It's like, I think it might be a similar thing to what you're saying about he's kind of adding these little bits. So he's kind of going, dong, 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 diddle-dong, 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 and adding these bits that you don't need. Um, well, it's re- this is the guy that becomes one of the most famous hair metal bassists of all time. Yeah. And it's... Yeah. Whatever you want to say about Quiet Riot, most of it is probably worth it and legitimate. You can't say they couldn't play. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, this one, Sweet Leaf is not what I would call a challenge to play. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of their most simple songs. It's probably the closest they're ever going to get to intro, chorus, you know, intro, verse, chorus, Verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, solo. That's mm-hmm. it's the closest they're ever going to get to that. And I don't know, he gets bored, I guess. But you're right, he, yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah. that one to me, it's just boring. You know, it, it's just a boring song because it's, it just feels so unnecessary. And that, I mean, that's how this album is, is it feels so unnecessary. Oh, oh yeah, it's totally superfluous. Um, yeah, okay, now we get on this, and I, I've got a funny feeling we're going to disagree a bit on this one, because we get now onto Never Say Die, title track of the, uh, the last Sabbath album with Ozzy, which, on its own terms, I actually like this song. I think it's a good song. I don't think it feels like a Black Sabbath song. I don't think they should have done it, necessarily, but I like the, the actual song. It's almost like Thin Lizzy, kind of a sort of almost good time rock and roll, pop rock type thing. And I have to say, not only is it quite solid, but I think it suits this lineup. Like the whammy bar stuff kind of works because we're getting into what feels like an an 80s sort of pop rock, um, heavy rock, hard rock, that poppy hard rock sort of style. This song is perfect for that. Um, So I kind of think it works. I think the 80s solo doesn't feel incongruous, doesn't feel out of place. That's my take on it. I apologize for not being contrarian, but I absolutely agree with everything you just said. <laughs> cool. You know, it's, I, I'm not going to say that I like the Never Say Die album or even Sabotage or even a lot of the last, the, the second half of the original Sabbath days. But, you know, this song, it's, it's not bad. It definitely feels, it doesn't feel like a Black Sabbath tune at all. Totally. It feels like an Ozzy Osbourne solo song. And that's what... Yeah. That, that's, that's why it works with the exactly. solo lineup with Brad Gillis playing like Randy Rhodes or trying to. Yeah, totally. 
this is probably the one, and I don't know the, the this song very well because I don't like if I don't like something I don't keep it. I'm not going to study what I hate, but it this is what they should have done with all the other songs, not just play them note for note, but with you know modern equipment and doing your palm mutes and your pinched harmonics and you know whammy bar dive bombs they should have taken those songs and put them into Ozzy's style and rearranged them a little bit. This was the time they did it. And I think possibly, maybe, just maybe, Ozzy sang that one. That is, and I think that might, be, that might be the exact vocals from the night. It's one of the few times I can say that, but I, I absolutely agree. Now, let's move into Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Great tune off what I consider to be a bit of a lackluster album. But I, was... I mean, I'm actually a big fan of this album, um, but and 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 of this song, um, as, as you've uh, agreed that you are. Um, what I now this about is the, this one, wasn't on the vocals on this are from the Black Sabbath record. I know what you mean. That, that, yeah, I mean, I've heard live versions of this from Black Sabbath, and you can't hit that note, so it goes. Um, Da, 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 you see life through distorted eyes, you know you had to lose, except about an octave higher than that. And he can't hit the had to lose. He kind of goes, had to lose. And we're talking about five or six or seven years before this was recorded. So if he couldn't hit those notes back then, there's no way he could suddenly hit them again here. So it's yeah. A, that is a hard I, line to sing. And I would imagine it was a very frustrating day in the studio to get that take originally. Even for 1970, whatever it was, three, four, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. And yeah, I think it's possible. Yeah, I think it's entirely possible. Because I don't know, even if they got him in the studio again in 1982, could he hit those notes at all? Could he even get his voice that high? No. Maybe no. not. So yeah, He could prepared. get higher in the 80s than he could in the 70s, but he couldn't get higher with any precision. Yeah. There yeah. wasn't a lot of, as they say, dynamic range in his vocals. Picture Crazy Train. He sings Crazy Train higher than anything in the entire Sabbath catalog. But what is it? Two notes, three notes in terms of the melody? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Yeah. Not much. It's it's very small. And then on this one, Gillis adds in some passages like Randy would have, I think, playing the mel the vocal turning the vocal melody into the guitar just you know kind of rearranging it a little bit it's good but i it's so distracting that they just lifted those vocals it feels yeah. like a remix and not a live version yeah it's weird um i've put the solo is not too bad it doesn't go to 80s with it but what frustrates me a bit is that that sludge riff which i think is an amazing riff the da 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 he plays it incorrectly and it annoys me. There's just a couple of notes in, the, in, a, in a different order. It's, it's not that obvious that it's incorrect, but, but I notice. And also, they don't play it powerfully. Instead of really crashing into it and making it sludgy, they kind of go weak on it. And it just, for me, that spoils the song. Um, Again, they, yeah. I, I couldn't get past the vocals. It was such a glaring... Oh, it was... They needed... I mean, I don't know what they could have done, but they... they no, just not done the song. I mean, they actually didn't play that in the set. This is the song um, that was yes. not in the set that they reckon must have been from soundcheck or from a It's rehearsal. entirely possible that the band played it with a fill-in singer 
and they just lifted in the Aussie vocals. It totally is, actually. In fact, that's a very good point. They may have rehearsed it, just recorded the rehearsal without any singer or with just one of them busking the vocals or something, and then, yeah. Or, playing, then... The, or playing the vocals as a click track. Yeah, and just yeah. just recorded that. I mean, there's, there's so many ways that could have happened, but I, that I, there's no way you can tell me without a shot that that's not the same vocals that were on that first, on, on the album Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think you're probably right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then they, yeah. Now we head into the encore. And mm, this is where we have three tracks which were not meant to be part of this recording. The band were told, don't bother to rehearse them. But, oh dear, in the end, they do end up on the recording. So, yes. And because you can't do this album without Iron Man and Paranoid. Yeah. yeah. There, somebody playing, there's going to be somebody playing those and somebody singing them. Mm. And to me, I kind of wondered if they, because they had the tracks at this point for tribute. It wasn't released for another five years for some reason, but they had the tracks. And I'm wondering if the vocals that they used, they flew in the vocals from Tribute on this. That's entirely possible. Yeah, could could be. I mean, it's some this this album just is so fake. From yeah, I agree. In terms of Ozzy, in Ozzy's, and it's you know you can definitely tell that the other. I mean, the other band, you know, they know it, but not really. It's it's it's. This song was barely Iron Man, and I mean, because they just didn't—they didn't know it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually—I didn't think Iron Man was the worst of the three. I thought Iron Man was like loose, definitely, but not as bad as what we're about to um, talk about. Yeah, put erroneous, erroneous whammy bar nonsense. This, this is when we get into Children of the Grave. For me, that's again them busting out that 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 riff. This is where it goes really wrong for me. It's like, oh yeah, for some reason he's doing on Children of the Grave. He's doing this weird harmonic. So instead of it going, I know that didn't sound right, but instead of it being heavy, it's like, it's like, and I don't understand why they would think that that's not even eighties. It's just weird. Like he's he's putting this strange harmonic in. The whole thing just sounds off. It just isn't right. They so, didn't know this song. Yeah, yeah. And this is another one of those instances where they get lost and they just go to that riff that 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 riff they all know and go, okay. Uh, I'm thinking, okay, Ozzy, you got you you take care of this. But I mean, I would have to imagine that the crowd was just as messed up as Ozzy was at that point. Yeah, if you were there on the night, you probably wouldn't notice too much. And I guess that was the idea. Um, but we've now got it preserved for posterity, and we we can tell. And that riff. The, the break riff, I guess you could call it, is totally wrong. It's like they've just gone, I'm going to throw seven notes together, or however many it is, that match the rhythm of that, and it's in the same key, but there's not, like, I'm not even going to bother to listen to the riff enough to work out what those notes are. I think it's probably I think the question to ask that would be more fair is, what did they get right on this? Yeah, and the answer the answer would be not very much. I mean, look, I tell you what they did actually get right. What's okay is that section at the end where you've got 
da 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 that that bit where it all goes a bit slow that that's okay and Too bad yeah, eight look, minutes before that this for me is the low point of the of the whole album really children of the grave and i remember i remember this from when i first heard this record i can't remember how i first came across it i think my brother might have bought it on vinyl in a secondhand record shop and we listened to it as like teenagers or something um and we were just both listening to this going what and it was this track that stuck in my mind from back then um, to me it's the next one because you know they get into paranoid and this i wish i could hear what was actually recorded that night for these three songs yeah with as big of a cluster as these three songs are for us on the record, what was really there? What did, could you imagine sitting in the room, listening back going, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, this is not good. I've put loose, very loose, and um, I've put whammy nonsense. It sounds like oh, this is played so by a... Yeah. It sounds like played by a bar band that had heard the song yeah. once a couple of weeks ago. It really does. And I've put the solo is utterly horrible 80s garbage like Van Halen gone wrong. Um, sorry, Brad Gillis, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just like, the, I mean, it's such a classic solo. This is the sort of solo where you need to play the solo note for, you need to at least play the first bit. I mean, everyone knows that, but he just, he just goes, and it's just it's just so rough yeah it's there again the the fair question is what did they get right on paranoid and if yeah. i may answer the question first not a damn thing yeah, exactly. this yeah. again these vocals are fake it's this is not what we're you know we're not hearing what ozzy did so i would imagine what probably it sounds like is the throwing up part of the puke and rally. Is that, that I just can't, I would have to imagine that's the real thing is because it was just, this is not, I mean, there's just nothing to this. It's if Ozzy doesn't know it and Ozzy's singing poorly and they don't know this song and they didn't really learn it. You, Oh God. It, it would have had to have just been off, off the rails as it were, or perhaps on the rails. If you take my meaning. Yeah, no, for sure, man. Totally, for sure. Yeah, so, and and that's it. So, I don't know, man. It's just such a strange record. I can't say it's a good record. I mean, look, all credit to Brad Gillis for stepping in with hardly any rehearsal. The rehearsal they did have was without Ozzy. At the time of the recording of this, Gillis had been in the band for five months sure and that's why i think it sounds the way it does it sounds reminiscent of randy it's what yeah. it's, it's what a third rate randy would have done if randy wasn't there yeah 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 man i mean yeah it, exactly and i just kind of feel and, and and even though he'd been in the band for five months it's like had they been playing all these songs I don't think so. You know, I think they they only started rehearsing a few days before, didn't they? They won't have been playing those Sabbath songs. So I don't know. Yeah, it's all a mess. And I don't think they've been touring much um, up to up to that time. So yeah, they don't really know what they were what they're doing. They haven't really gelled as a band properly yet. Um, 
yeah, he's going, Brad Gillis is going for completely the wrong guitar tone. We can understand why, but it doesn't work. Ozzy's a complete mess. The Ozzy that we're hearing on the album isn't, it just can't be the Ozzy that we heard on the night. There's no way. Um, there we are. Strange, anomalous album. The fact that the video release of this, of this, air quotes, it never came out in America until 2012. Yeah. Speaks volumes. And then on top of that, the, when I, I bring up the air quotes because the, the, the home video was just a regular set from this band. Yeah, I, 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 this set. I had a little look at it um, before coming on the chat today. Um, and yes, it's just Aussie songs. And it seems okay. It's, it seems fairly fine. But I'm it's sure, just... I'm sure it is fine. Yeah. Brad Gillis is a guitar player that, that sounds like he'd work well. But in the end, for me, you know, it, it's just a mess. There's, no, there, there's a couple gems, it, but the gems aren't, I mean, they're shiny glass. They're not diamonds. It's, yeah. It's Gillis trying to make an impression in the 80s metal world. It's the record label, not, the, not even the label, but it's, it's the management company trying to steal some money it's there, there's just nothing really redeeming quality about this and it's, yeah if, if I, I agree for me i i think going forward this is something we should do this is obviously something that's forgotten i would say it deserves to remain forgotten yeah i think for yeah lar largely that's correct um, so we'll try and find something next week which um, doesn't deserve to be forgotten and which is actually worth listening to. But what I would say is even so, I think, um, you know, if you're a fan of Ozzy, if you're a fan of Sabbath, I mean, don't go expecting anything great, but as a historical document of a moment in time, it is of interest. But yeah, don't expect to like it. Let's put it that I'm way. I'm going to disagree even with that because it's not a document of that moment. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. That's true because it's not real. Um, yeah, I, I suppose what it's a document of is the desperation that was happening at the time in the Aussie camp because it is, it's like a cry for help of an album, really. It is. Uh, perfect. It is, a, it is a cry for help of a record. Yeah, yeah. And no one listened. <laughs> <laughs> all right on that note i think we have summed it up. i think you i think you have hit it i felt nothing more we could say <laughs> so until next time we will be back next week hopefully everybody has a great halloween and don't listen to this album yeah if you if you want to scare yourself on halloween you could listen to it but uh yeah other than that yeah probably don't <laughs> right thank you thank guys you, goodbye talk, talk to everybody next week <laughs>